0: Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Super excited today uh, to have with me Andrew Richberg. He's the CEO of C3LX. Uh Gosh, I'm even going to want to know what that's all about. Um, And we were just talking offline about a lot of interesting things that his organization is doing in the healthcare space. Uh, which we're going to dive into. Uh, but I want to preface this as I've done with a couple of these conversations recently uh, around uh, the, this idea. So the, the reason that Andrew and I got connected was because I went out on LinkedIn and said, hey, I'm looking for some top performing CEOs uh, that uh, their peer or one of their employees would recognize as being somebody that's great to work for, interesting and exciting to work for. And so one of Andrew's employees reached out to me and said, this is a guy, you got to talk to him. And so I just, though we may not talk a ton directly about Uh, the practice of leadership and principles thereafter. I just want you to hear that common thread come through the CEO of an organization as he's just maybe in his day-to-day life and behavior. And uh, so anyway, so that big, long introduction welcomes Andrew to the podcast. So Andrew, welcome.
1: Ryan, thanks for having me.
0: It's fun. So I just, I, I just gave you like uh, this very generic CEO introduction and at the same time talked all of the ways in which you are an amazing leader. So, so uh, when you meet somebody off the street, like what is it typically that you are sharing with them that you do uh, from an organizational leadership perspective or maybe something completely different?
1: I typically share about the problem that we're trying to solve, or the problems that we're trying to solve, um, and why we exist as an organization. Um, so, really, spend a lot more time talking about healthcare, uh, healthcare being broken, uh, places where I see healing happening within healthcare. Uh, that's that's usually the starting point. Um, if we dig into anything doing going on with leadership, it's really more about than the dynamic of. Um, the challenges of leadership, um, why I'm, you know, potentially why I'm drawn to it, or what I what I love about what we're doing, but it typically isn't just a specific conversation about leadership. It's always just really contextual, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I I also noticed something uh, interesting on your guys' website. So uh, for yourself, and it looks like the rest of your team, maybe, uh, I don't know, some poor soul got left off, but uh, it looks like everybody's bio starts out with uh, one of their key strengths finder strengths. And so uh, I I know because I read, but what is yours and why is it important for you guys to showcase that uh, to the world as they maybe find you online?
1: Yeah, I'll start with the second part of that question. I think, um, so we are a strengths-based organization. I've been a strengths-based leader or trying to be a strengths-based leader for uh, 15 years probably. Um, I really think, I really resonate with the idea that uh, we spend a lot of time focusing on people's weaknesses. Um, so we try to, try to mitigate and shore up and spend time uh, you know, training people in areas they're not good at. So they're not a good public speaker. So we need to spend more time on public speaking. And what I found is uh, when I was drawn to in strengths was, man, you got these natural talents that can be developed and they can be grown. Um, and when you're operating in your strengths, uh, you're just a, you're more efficient. You're more effective. And you talk about being in the zone and when people are in the zone, they're working um, on tasks and in contexts that are really, um, playing on their strengths. And so I, I just fell in love with the concept. I believe in it. I've seen it be really effective, um, for teams. And so we, as a team really focus on that. Hmm. Um, we have a, we've got a strengths map where we have everybody's uh, strengths, uh, documented up on the wall and, and which categories of strengths they fall into. And, um, we see where we've got gaps as an organization. We don't hire two strengths, but as soon as someone is hired, we go through strengths finder and really, talk then about how we can uh, utilize them more effectively and engage with them. And we talk about things like strengths partners. So um, I'm really heavy on the influence and thinking strengths, uh, but I don't have relationship and executing strengths, which is interesting. Um, And so I really have to partner with people who I use influence and relationship. So, um, you know, I'm a maximizer, for example, um, and I really use that to kind of hone how things get done and how I work with people and seeing their, you know, their potential and how I want to continue to develop their potential. That's um, different than say having empathy. And so I really need someone who can help me take a step back and go, oh, man, you really need to think about how they how the employees are seeing this or how they're experiencing it. And so we talk about strengths partners a lot um, as well. So instead of saying, you know, your deficit is execution. We're going to spend a lot of time with you on, on being a better executor and we're going to send you to, you know, a project planning class, and we're gonna help you, you know, use your scheduling calendar more effectively, and how you get into JIRA and work with, you know, job tickets and all those things on the software side. Nobody does that with me. We don't, they don't try to do that and say, hey, you know what, let's optimize. If we're having a strategy conversation. I'm a ideation is my number one. Strength. So I love, I love coming up with ideas, thinking about how they could work, seeing that the opportunity, of those ideas, I love connecting dots between ideas. So when we're having an ideation session, I'm going to be front and center in that. Um, if we're having a, a session on, you know, how we're going to get a specific task done and we're really breaking it down into component parts and deadlines and that kind of stuff. Nobody wants me in that meeting because I'm bored <laughs> looking at my phone. And so it's not an opportunity for me, but that's how we work. You know, strengths are really critical for that. And I, I love knowing, you know, my wife who also works in the business um, is a great executor, phenomenal executor. It's one of the reasons we work so well together. And today we got done with the strategy meeting and she just said, I'll take on the next steps of how we're going to organize this and start to move it towards execution. And that to me is the beauty of, that's when you got strengths partners working really well together and it's just fluid um, It's not. I mean, it's something we have to keep in front of us all the time because it's not. Again, it's not the way we're trained in our in our business world today. We're trained to have, hey, here's your strengths, here's your weaknesses. All right, we're gonna we're gonna do a development plan on your weaknesses, and that's to me that's a waste of time, energy, and effort. And I don't want to spend time doing that.
0: So that's why we do. Yeah. Okay. So all that was amazing, and people need to go back and listen to uh, (laughs) why. No, no, that's fantastic. I mean, that's exactly like I'm a firm believer in uh, understanding, highlighting, and capitalizing on people's strengths. Uh, Even like, you know, as a coach one-on-one, I mean, I do this all the time. It's like people are like, I'm deficient here, I'm deficient there, and I'm like, that's fine. We can figure out if there's areas you can improve in, but why don't we figure out what you're really good at and pursue that, right? We're gonna care more a lot about and invest more into those things anyway. So I love that idea, but here's where my first uh, interesting question comes in, and this is either gonna fall flat or lead into more good conversation. So uh, (laughs) CEO um, typically uh, is somebody like you uh, in, in the sense of like you were the idea guy, right? Like you were birthed into this role, you had some really great ideas, you have a good vision, you can cast that vision, which is wonderful. The problem that I find with most CEOs is they also think or are told that they 're also the execution guy because they 're the leader, and so they need to take charge they need to make things happen and so uh, maybe part A is was there a pivotal moment when something when that changed for you and you used to be one way and you 're now another? Or when did that come to to realization for you? So maybe that's number one, and number two, apart from just I don't want to be in the details because I despise of them. Um, uh, how do you keep yourself out of getting into things that you're not good at?
1: So yeah, there was a there was a pivotal moment for me um, in my career. So I actually started my career as a, as a teacher, um, as a special ed teacher for kids who had serious emotional behavior disorders. Um, and I did that for three years, exhausting work. Um, I w- just couldn't sustain my energy in that, in that space. And I went back to graduate school and right out of graduate school, I was hired into an executive position um, in, a, in a company. I'd never been an executive before. Um, I was over a very large operation. I had a lot of P&L responsibility and I was just, you know, graduate school prepares you a little bit, but not, not much. Um, and I was awesome at getting things started so I could get things going. Um, I had the idea, the vision, I could, I could organize this, the starting point. I could get the first play or two or three plays of the game done. Um, and then I lost interest and, I had a, had a CEO um, who just said, I, was really, I, was, I had a really negative performance review around that arena, that there's all these different initiatives that are started, all of them very interesting, um, mm-hmm. probably smart, but too many, not focused enough. And uh, I've struggled with attention issues my whole life. So I wasn't surprised necessarily by that there were so many of them, um, or they were good, but they weren't getting done. Um, but she just, she looked at me and she just said, and I didn't know strengths language at the time, but she looked at me and said, uh, you're, you, you're not good at closing loops. You're not good at getting stuff across the finish line. So who's Mm going to help you, who's going to help you do this? And the reality, so two things I think I learned at that point. One is when you're a teacher in the classroom, that classroom is yours. And you can operate autonomously when you close that door, not totally, but pretty much. And I had that mindset. I needed to do it by myself. And so that was the first time I really recognized that not only could I not do it by myself, I wasn't good at it. And so that was the first. And then later on I came across the, this strengths language and I was working with a, a coach and my coach said, um, cause we we're talking about this very situation in my past. And she said, well, you know what? you you're awesome at coming in and getting stuff going. You're strategic, you're ideation, you're an activator, you've got self-assurance. So those those four together, great at getting stuff going and having an absolute confidence you're going in the right direction. And you're a maximizer. So it's a great way for you to improve things as they get farther down the line. But look at, you don't have any ability once you get it started to stay engaged mm-hmm. with it effectively, to rearrange the parts. And that's when strengths language and my own experience kind of Butted heads or ran into each other, and that was a great opportunity for me to just take that step back and go, "Oh, yeah. this is a, this is what I've been struggling with," and and I I I've struggled with that my literally getting things across the finish line my entire life, mm-hmm. uh, except for I was a track I was an athlete in high school I ran track and I got across the finish line then, but not <laughs> not very not very quickly, but um, but that that dynamic was really powerful for me, and I think that has been something I. You do, as a CEO, have to get stuff done, and you got to get stuff across the line. But that's where you have to recognize—that's where I think you know, your question about leadership. I mean, that's where leadership comes in. It's like I, I need some help getting this across the line. Yeah. So that's that's kind of that was the long answer to your question. I hope it didn't fall flat. But that's really where that came together for me.
0: No, I mean, I think that <clears throat> again. Th- whether you're the CEO of an organization or not, I mean, I think there's so much wisdom in understanding where we're strong, you know, really doubling down, investing into that area, and then finding other resources and or people to help support the areas that we're not good in. And um, I don't know, I, I feel like that is often shamed, Uh, when, you know, when, when we're saying like, Hey, I'm at the top of an organization or I'm leading in this area, but I'm not good at this. It's like people just freak out, you know, when, when they say those things or they qualify it seven different ways before they make the statement. It's interesting because I fall into that same, uh, same trap. I actually, I don't have ideation anywhere, even in my top 15, I don't think, but, um, and I'm very much a strategic thinker, but when it comes to the details of execution, I just get bored. And so if I don't have people there to help me do that uh, all the hard work that I put into the front end will just deflate into nothing. And so I just, I think there's so much wisdom. So I think, okay. Can I just add on to that real quick? Yeah, please. Absolutely. The the piece I would add to that is I think different sides of different
1: parts of the organization look at that uh, differently too. So if you're in operations and you're a big thinker, you're devalued for being this big thinker in operations. Whereas Mm. You know, we, I think the key is taking the judgment out of all of that and being able Mm -hmm. to say, you know, you're, our project manager is a phenomenal project manager. She's an amazing person, but strategy is her 34th strength. It's her lowest strength. So when she gets into a meeting and she's doing product management, it's a disaster, but we don't, there's no judgment in that. It's like, nope, that's not where you should be. You should be arranging tasks, not leading the strategy around a task and let's just get things. And that's the same thing for me to be able to stand up and go, I, I'm terrible at executing. I love getting stuff done. I love for people to get stuff done and I'll do everything I can to help support you and facilitate that. There's no judgment in that. And I think that's where you, that's, I do love that about strengths. It's like, there's no judgment. Yeah. It's just who you are. It's good. You you know, what's
0: so fascinating, you said, like, you know, that one was way down the line. So um, I did my, you know, top five by default, um, uh, initially, when I was working with a coach, and he's like, No, that really doesn't count, like, go deeper. And so I, you know, I did all 33. And I think uh, empathy was like number 26 for me, like down the list. And I was like, like, That's not me. I I, I really care about people. I understand people. I love people. I want to be there for people. And so, what I recognized was, was that some of my strengths that were way high up the list were dominating my ability to be empathetic in certain situations. And part of that's because I'm a very black and white thinker for myself. And so, you know, the tendency was to kind of apply that to other people at times. And so even understanding that it, like the natural tendency fell, fell that far down the line, it allowed me to create a sense of awareness when I'm stepping into situations where I know some of my other strengths would dominate. And so then I could yeah. not force in like a fake way, but force myself into being more empathetic right out of the gate versus allowing something else to seep in. So I think it's important for people to understand that broad spectrum versus just typically when you talk finder, most people that I hear read the book, do their top five, and they kind of go on their way. And it's like, right. there's just a lot of depth below that.
1: Well, I think the other, and what you're hitting, another thing you're hitting on, I think is really powerful is that we depend on strengths in situations that are not appropriate for that for the use of that strength that we overuse, you know, it's the overuse injury of, you know, you know, tennis elbow or whatever. You, you use it so much that it actually is not effective anymore. And I think you do have to have that mindset of, wow, I'm in this situation, I'm being completely analytical and I need to be empathetic. Yeah. I'm just defaulting in it, I think, and people then will use that as well, you know, I'm I'm strategic. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm an ideator. So I'm sorry, I'm not, you know, I can't help you with your arranger problem. So it does, it does take that mindfulness to be able to say, this is, I'm totally relying on a strength that is not appropriate for the situation. And I need to take a step back and recognize that strengths are not a vehicle to just run over the top of people or to, to, you know, give you an excuse for your behavior that's not appropriate in the situation. And I think people do that. And there's basement behaviors with strengths as well. So, you know, trying to be all analytical in a in a very qualitative and emotional situation, that's not helpful. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great, great insight in terms of your empathy. And if you really want to be empathetic and act empathetic, sometimes you do have to mitigate that strength that's coming to play. It's uh, stomping on somebody's uh, you know sensitive emotion at that time.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. This is great. I love the fact that we're 15 minutes into this conversation and we haven't even talked about healthcare yet, Uh, (laughs) which is wonderful. Like this is what people really need to hear. Um, Okay. So uh, at some point uh, you start this business. So how long ago was it that you launched this organization? Uh,
1: Five and a half years, October 1st of 2014.
0: Okay, so 2014, you, you, you have this vision, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, um, for this business, solving problems in a mess of an industry, and you decide to go into business with your wife, and so did that- yeah uh did that make things like i have my own opinions but did you did that make things easier for you especially is it related to like i could trust this person so i can hand off these things like i can be strong where i'm strong because she's strong where i'm not um was that was that all easy or were there some challenges there like how did that work
1: it's been so easy we've never even had an argument since then we had all these arguments before we started this business together Mm. they all went away it's been perfect no <laughs> uh, it has been. Uh, so I would I would say that it's a double edged sword. I think she would probably say the same thing. I think there's some um, there's some amazing benefits to it. So that the trust um, we we know each other really well. We are really complementary in our in our strengths. Um, she is uh, she doesn't take things. For, for granted just because I said it. Um, so there's that hmm. questioning that comes in that really hones ideas and um, brings a lot of realism into it. And and you know, again, where the, she's an executor. And, and so bringing that down to when the, you know, when the tire actually hits the tarmac, that dynamic is really, really critical. Um, we are, because we're both in it, we both understand the stress. Um, so I don't have to come home and you know, download about my day for, you know, 25 minutes, so she can understand how stressful the day was. Um, so there's some, some fantastic piece. I actually just read a really interesting article on how co-founders are, um, that our spouses are in a relationship are, are a really unique and dynamic uh, element to the, to the startup world. There are challenges to it. I mean, when, you know, if she and I are sideways, we, we got to figure out how we're going to go to work and not turn the organization sideways. Um, that's challenging. There's, it's really hard to turn off the business because we're both in it. So it's very natural that, you know, on a Saturday afternoon when I want to be watching university of Texas football um, and she wants to be watching <laughs> university of Texas football, we're talking about the business and mm-hmm. we have to, we've had to be much more effective at managing boundaries around those things. Like, you know, tonight's a, tonight's a no business conversation night and, and for our kids too, because the, the kids you know, even though they're fascinated by what we do every day, at some point they don't want to talk about it either. So, <laughs> right, um, right, putting the phones down, putting the business aside, and just having those those nights where we just get to be a normal uh, family, whatever normal uh, is. But that, I think, is it has been a a blessing and a curse. She came in. I I say now uh, she's been in the business for a little over three years. She joined us two years in, and um, I'd say way more blessing than curse and it's forced us to really work through uh, issues and effectively communicate and disagree uh, in a really healthy way um, objectively so it's disagreements about the business come to a, a very rational logical point instead of them you know being fraught with emotion and um, sometimes they're fraught with emotion but most of the time we really we've just had to really work through those situations so it's a, it's an absolute blessing and um, and we're really close, so I, I mean, I love the idea of being able to. You know, we we don't drive together to work, um, so even though we're like three miles apart we, from our from our house, uh, we probably could. Uh, we don't. We drive separately. It's like our independent arrivals. I come in early. She comes in a little bit later. Um, we leave separately. Um, we have some time to to unwind in the car. Um, but you know, we show up, and we're we're husband and wife at home. We show up, and we're CEO and and vice president at work, and. Um, it we've we figured out how to make it make it work. I, the biggest challenge is uh, we we both are equally and highly stressed at the same times, so or equally uh, not stressed and and uh, relaxed at the same times. And sometimes probably marriages are better off if there's a little bit more uh, kind of counterweight. Uh, but it it's been really good.
0: Yeah, no, no, I I think that's really fair. I think what's, you know, what's really great about it is, is, you know, one of the, one of the biggest challenges a leader can have if an organization is getting people to be as passionate about their cause as they are. And understandably, right? Like that's, that's not their gig. Like it's a job. Maybe they love it a little bit, but they don't have the same skin in the game that you do. Whereas you have, you know, two key leaders in an organization that are now equally invested uh, personally, financially, professionally, just from a career perspective, you know, into this business. And so you really have double that uh, firepower. And trying to do everything you can to make things work. I think the other thing that can be really great about it is, is though it you know it causes some could cause some challenges at times. You know, I think that it provides such a benefit in the fact that you know when she's pushing hard back on you or vice versa, you on her, you, it, it's because you you're trying to be objective and do what's right versus do what's selfishly um, wanted and and yeah. so you know that uh, you know obviously it has to be uh, it is only naturally built into a good relationship outside the business um but uh, but i'm sure that you know that that's worked out well and um I dig on the idea. I mean, I, I think that, you know, our lives are, are all one pot. I don't think that we have a personal life and professional life per se. Yes, we do. I agree. You know, we, 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 we produce effort in different domains, but it's all one and the same, whether, whether your whole family comes to work with you or not, you know? So it's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. And
1: so the big, now the, and the biggest challenge ever in that is when I have to make a decision and I have to be able to say, I know you disagree with this decision, but hmm. I, I think this is the right thing to do and I'll live with it if I'm wrong, but I've got to, that's, that's the biggest challenge because we're very, we are very connected and egalitarian in our, in our marriage, but there are times when as a CEO, I just have to make, I have to be the tiebreaker and sometimes yeah. that's against and that, but that's, that is really the only, only aspect that's the, the most challenging or most difficult. And then when I'm wrong, you know what happens.
0: Yeah, you gotta eat it, but, okay, but, but here's where um, here's what I really like about that is this, is I'm gonna make an assumption here in just a little bit that I've heard from you and, and I'm getting to know you, but you know, you would never take something like that lightly, right? You're like not executing a decision because you say so. You deeply believe that you're making the right decision knowing full well that you're going against your wife. Uh, and vice president of your organization, which means you're going to have to take the responsibility if something is wrong. So you're never going to step into that decision lightly. Like you're going to step into it knowing that the implications of it going wrong have lots of lasting effect on the other side for her being there, she probably knows that if you are going to be that um, set in a way or in making a decision that she can respect that, okay, like if he's bringing this to me and he's that confident in it, I don't like it, but I'm going to at least trust that he is doing it for what he thinks are the right reasons. So again, I think when you come into decisions like that, I think that that's far more beneficial than it's just I I rank higher than you, so it, it works its way right. down, right? You, you get to build that yeah. trust in those types of decision-making.
1: Yeah, I think that's um, accurate.
0: Good. Okay, so five 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 and a half years ago, you said uh, you decide to get into healthcare. So anybody that's in that space, um, my first question is, what the hell were you thinking? And secondly... Um, where, where does that passion come from and what is it that you're really setting out to do? Because as soon as I hear the word or somebody hears the word healthcare, particularly people that are listening to my podcast, men much of the audience, they're just like, ugh, because they touch it in some regard or another. And it is so messy.
1: Yeah. So what was I thinking? Uh, lots of opportunity. So Anytime. Anytime there's something that's so messy, uh, there's lots of opportunity. Uh, I did see a clear, I did see a clear opportunity. So, um, my intro to healthcare uh, really was I had been in a, several senior executive roles, and I was hired into a large integrated healthcare delivery system uh, as a senior executive over uh, marketing and strategy for the for the system. So we had, you know, thousands of employed physicians and clinics, multi specialty clinics, hospitals, surgery centers, imaging centers, cancer centers, you name it, we have it across a big geography. Um, And my job was really to to make sure that we were doing everything we could to maximize all of those investments. And so it was uh, building the brand presence, and it was marketing specific service lines and campaigns to drive utilization and it was all about maximizing the dollars in our system at the expense of every other uh, mechanism around us. So typically, whether that's a government payer or a private payer, um, those payer systems, how do we make sure we're getting everything we can? And if it's up, you know, if it's a competition between us and the hospital across the street, how do we make sure they're going into our beds or into our MRIs and those kinds of things. Um, Interesting work. And and I do think just intrinsically healthcare is meaningful. So I could find a lot of meaning in it. It's challenging. uh, It's complicated. So um, everything that, you know, that I love about, you know, solving problems and big problems, all those things, healthcare always had for me. Uh, But I started to get more and more passionate about this, what we are doing uh, in healthcare um, and what that was costing us as a, as a country. And so looking at the dynamic of how we deal with sick care and how do we treat wellness and how do we do, do things to more effectively manage patients so that you can do it in the least costly environment, not the most costly environment, how do you drive costs out, quality in, better experience for patients. And that really became my passion. And what I could do when I was in the healthcare system was really focus on patient experience. How are we really driving a better patient experience and hmm. not dropping the ball and is healthcare is not typically a great patient experience and it's a one that's fraught with emotion. And so I really focused on that. And when I had the opportunity to, to leave, uh, I took it and I took that opportunity to, to join a technology company because I, by that point, decided there's an opportunity to think about healthcare differently, enabled with technology, to deliver it in the least uh, the least costly environment, and to do it in a way that is really a, a powerful um, experience, um, you know, kind of megaphone for for these for these patients, doing a way that makes their experience undeniably better. And um, so that's really what I started down the pathway of. Um, and that was in 2012. And so from 2012 to two, 2014, it was really refining that idea and and really learning the tech space. Um, the tech company I was with, great company, but didn't want to really build products. They wanted to be a services company and. Um, I'm really, I was passionate about the product and the idea of building something that's platform. And so, um, so that's how I ended up doing this is just ultimately, I would have done it in a variety of different spaces, I couldn't find the right space to do it. And so I just said, well, I better do it myself. Um, (laughs) So that was 2014. And what we set out to do was build a technology platform that connects patients and care teams in really meaningful ways outside of the four walls of the clinic. So you think about Our our name is C3LX, which stands for it's the Roman numerals for 360. So CCCLX. Um, The idea being that there are there are all these different ways that we can connect with patients, and and typically we don't we connect with them in maybe two or three different ways, and most of those still to this day are involve a a physical face to face visit um, or a at at the very least a a telephonic or video visit. Um, And our our idea was if we really understood our patients more effectively, understood what they were trying to accomplish, how they were moving down that pathway to accomplishing what they needed to accomplish, we could engage with them most of the time through a technology platform that would still create that relationship and that connection to the trusted care team, but would drive different outcomes for that patient in a very inexpensive way. So, you know, a patient for an entire year on our platform is 24 bucks. So we can connect a patient, bring in all of this patient-generated health data, so anything you have got from your Apple Watch to your Garmin to Bluetooth scales to blood, blood pressure monitors or blood glucometers, we can bring all that data in. We can make it meaningful to the care team in the way we present data, and then the care team can use that data to engage back with the patient asynchronously, typically. Um, and it's really efficient, and it's really effective, and it's really inexpensive, and you can track whether a patient's on track or not really easily. Um, And that's the dynamic that we're trying to create is how do you do that? One visit to the physician is typically somewhere four to six X, the entire cost of our platform for a year for a patient. So it's, that's really what we're, we're trying to accomplish. And that's what technology can do that. We just, we can't do in a, in a typical delivery environment, healthcare delivery environment. So that's what we're, that's what we're passionate about. And we can't deal with everything. We're, you know, we're, Truly about prevention, wellness, uh, goal setting, goal attainment, um, but it it can be very targeted to patients who are, uh, you know, have multiple chronicities, who are you know morbidly obese, who are are completely inactive, all those things. But our platform helps to get them on the right track, track whether they're heading in the right direction, and bring that data back to the care team. Um, so we're not dealing with any of these acute care episodes at this point, but. Um, again, there's a lot of opportunity in healthcare. So we're trying to carve out our niche and really make an impact in that space between a primary care physician and, and their patient population. So that's what we're doing. Okay.
0: Okay. So, so, so you are the technology platform, right? So you're, you're providing that product, that, that, that the patient, the user gets to engage with, as well as the provider, in this case, primary care physician. So um, are you guys, first of all, how are you selecting the types of uh, providers to work with? Like, is that anybody that wants to sign up on our platform or how does that work?
1: It could be, but we're really focused um, in value-based systems. So systems that have either a capitated model or a membership-based model. So you think direct primary care where the physician group is directly contracting with an employer. Um, so you're taking the insurance equation out, they have to deal with that population effectively manage that population for a fixed fee. Um, that's a, a major focus of ours where again, the, our cost model, their, their cost and revenue model and their incentives and our incentives are all totally aligned. Um, that's a, that's a major focus for ours, but we'd be willing to work with any, physician group who is really trying to do this. It just happens that most of the physician groups um, are not aligned from an incentive perspective. So they're not looking for ways to minimize interactions. They actually are incentive to maximize interactions and our platform is working against their revenue models. So where the revenue model is aligned and the incentive models aligned, that's where we're focused. And then we'll we're willing to go at risk. So we go at risk for a portion of our payment, um, typically about 25%. So $18 a year for a patient to come onto our platform with six bucks a year at risk for engagement and outcome metrics, um, improvement in, in achievement of goals, those types of things. So that, again, ties into the alignment piece.
0: Okay. So help me walk through the user experience. Uh, I'm really intrigued by this um, for, for a lot of different reasons, and it'll also help people that aren't in this space kind of understand the beginnings of solving some of uh, the most uh disastrous and yet simple problems that we have in healthcare um so you sure. talk about you're not treating acute things right which are uh large diagnosis of disease uh accidents and things of that nature so we're talking about con- uh, chronic right everyday conditions that a lot of yep. us have uh, by and large which is things as simple as diabetes uh heart disease musculoskeletal issues maybe even could come into play here at some point so sure. Um, yep. So I, um, I sign up as a member for direct primary care. Uh, so membership based model, primary care physician. So I sign up with uh, my direct primary care guy, my direct primary care doctor says, in addition to all this amazing service you're going to get from me anytime you need me, uh, you're also going to get signed up on this technology platform. Right. And yep. so I'm like, okay, so a what does that do for me, and b, how do I begin using it so so what is that yep.
1: so typically uh, I'll give you a, I'll just walk you through a typical scenario, and we can use it use it that way. so um, typically, you are going to have some type of interaction with your with your physician uh, when you especially in direct primary care, they want to get you in, they want to get to know you, find out you know do your health risk assessment, those kinds of things at the same time, if you've came, come in through an employer population your employer has done some analytics on the population and understands not necessarily who you are, cause that would be a HIPAA violation, but they understand their risk pool within their, within their population. So low risk, rising risk, high risk, um, intensively high risk. Um, and what we typically do is we go, okay, low risk, rising risk. They're over here. They're fine. We're gonna deal with our high risk patients. So not a bad thing um, in the short run, but in the long run, that's a, that's a bad strategy. So that what, two things can happen so one is when when they come in when the population comes into direct primary care we work with a really closely with a partner that's a population health data analytics partner and they identify these rising risk patients and that flows into the direct primary care group so that's a group that we would focus on more intentionally engaging with so it's not mm-hmm. just hey i've got 2000 patients i'm going to figure out you know, I'm just going to go down the list and engage them. It's like, I know who's at risk within my population. Sure. So let's say, Ryan, you come in to the clinic or you're part of that rising risk population. That physician uh, can reach out uh, to that individual and say, hey, I want to get you in. I um, want to talk to you about your health goals and let's get, let's get, get you in and get you started. That's a when you have that face-to-face interaction with the care team, that's a really critical opportunity, um, and we really want to take advantage of that. So what happened? So I'll use myself as an example. But you know, three years ago, I go in for my primary care visit. The doctor says, "Hey, you're in good shape. Your A1C is good, uh, but you're about 15 pounds over overweight. So, you know, really focus on that this next year, and you know, increase your activity, improve your diet. And I'll see you next year." So I would technically have been a part of I'm 51 years old so I'm 15 pounds overweight I'd gained about 10 pounds in that year so that would have been I t- typically would have been part of a rising risk group but what happens is we just go hey you know here's the, here's what you need to do I'm the physician I told you to lose 10 pounds go lose 10 pounds so yeah. I leave I leave the clinic what happens I walk out I immediately lose 10 pounds right so I go to by, I lost it by the time I got to the parking lot it was fantastic come back the next year. He's like, Oh, you're up another 10 pounds. You're up 20 pounds. So you need to lose 20 pounds. Now and I'll see you next year. So what happens in this dynamic is that the current dynamic, they might say, Hey, you need to go see a nutritionist, but they, they just push it all off. What we do is we say, the physician says, Hey, I want to get you on this platform and here's the deal. Let's set goals together. Let's work on small sustainable goals. We'll set a short-term goal, set a long-term goal. We'll really look at your focus areas. We're going to help you make small, sustainable changes that are going to really help you improve your health outcomes, um, help you feel better, improve your quality of life. You know, what do you, you know, what are the things you can't do today that you could do five years ago? And I would have said, you know, five years ago, I ran a half marathon. If I run a half marathon right now with 20 pounds overweight, my knees are going to be <laughs> screaming for a month, two months. I might not run again. Yep. So they sit down and the platform enables and facilitates that patient and that care team member to set those goals. And then when that patient walks out and there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that, like core motivations and, and how that individual is going to make decisions and all those kinds of things, priority areas they need to focus on, our platform helps to monitor and manage and engage that patient in those priority areas and then bring that data back to the care team to help see when they're on track, when they're off track. So instead of next year when I come around, on a regular basis, we normalize this data and bring it back into the care team. The care team could say... You know, Ryan, you're, I see you're you're struggling with activity. Let's talk about how you can get more activity. Or, man, Ryan, I see you know what's happening with your with your meal intake, and you're eating a lot of mac and cheese, and that's uh, it's probably not going to be good for you over time. And if you can continue on that track, you know, it looks like your weight is up. Or, hey, man, we're seeing a spike in your blood pressure, or you're not getting enough sleep. Hey, let's talk about sleep. People don't the physician doesn't have that data today and they don't have a way to deal with it. So we bring all that data in, but we don't just dump it. So that you know, you think about some of these health system data that comes in, they've got a, I can connect my Fitbit to my physician portal, but what is what good does it do for a physician to see that I got ten thousand steps today and six thousand yesterday? It does no good at all. Right. So our data normalizes and allows a physician to more effectively engage and say, Hey, you know, it looks like I can see this pattern, see this trend. You don't get any activity during the week, but you're a weekend warrior. You're getting 15,000 steps on Saturday and Sunday. We've got to figure out how to get you some activity during the week. Let's talk about some ideas. That can happen asynchronously through our platform. It's really a powerful way to engage and not wait that for that annual cycle to happen again. It's too late. So it's much harder to lose 20 pounds than it is 10. It's much harder to lose 10 than five. So we really try to engage early and keep that patient engaged. And the platform does a lot of cool stuff to make that happen. That's what we do. Long story.
0: Okay. And so when you kept saying care team, by the way, uh, is that you guys? Like, do you have a team behind the scenes or no? You're talking about like the, at the physician group.
1: Yep. We connect to the physician group. We really think that trusted care team is critical. So if okay. you've got a relationship with a physician, we want to facilitate that relationship, not replace it or augment it. We want to facilitate it
0: hmm Okay. So that makes sense. So, I mean, again, like this is really a, uh, in order to be successful, this is twofold. You do need the buy-in of the patient clearly, uh, but you also need the buy-in of the doctor uh, or the physician team or whomever uh, to ensure that when they're gathering, when they're gathering this data, that it's being used appropriately. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is one of like the, uh, I mean, there's many of, you know, but these are some of the biggest challenges I think that we face around this whole idea, because, you know, even as you've brought up, and this is not to poo-poo them, but like, this is why Fitbit is actually causing, in, in a lot of ways, there's studies to show like they're actually causing more problems in a lot of populations than they are good. Because like, if I do my 10,000 steps, which is what everybody says I need to do, well, then I can I can just continue to live my life. And I can eat McDonald's and you know, drink beer every night. And but I got my 10,000 steps. So I'm good, right? And it's like, no, 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 that's actually uh, perpetuating other bad behavior. And you, you think you're doing good. So you know, so it's directing there. I also think what's good is, is that it's, like somebody's actually going to do something with the data and it's going to help guide me in the right direction because again like i i i'm just a human being walking around this the face of this earth and i need the guidance and coaching of somebody else out there to help me with this information because if not it's just nothing more than information
1: right yep and it's very specific and personalized to you individually because it is about if you're getting 10,000 steps ready to McDonald's, the conversation is not about, hey, let's, you know, let's, oh, you gained some weight. Hey, let's get, get you more active. No, it's, I mean, just, so you get to be very specific and focused, and that's meaningful to patients. And then you can say, it's not about cutting out McDonald's, but it, it might be about cutting out six days at McDonald's, um, but it, or it might be <laughs> about, you know, reducing it down to one meal a day but it changes the nature of the conversation. So Mm -hmm. that it is specific to that individual and it happens really efficiently. So it's not like Mm -hmm. the physician or the care team has to dig into, Hey, and what about this? And the patient's like, well, I kind of, you know, I think I I run typically on Saturday. It's none of that. It's the data is right there. It's normalized. It's structured in a way that the physician can deal with it. And the same data is available to the patient. You're having the same conversation about the same issues and it's all based on data but it is done in a way that allows both sides to engage effectively in the conversation and come out with a mutual outcome. So physician that position to tell you what to do, um, that day is passing. This is really about physicians engaging as partners in health. That's really where healthcare needs to go, especially in the primary care side, um, yeah. It needs to be coupled with educational content that people can understand, not pages, but one small little micro chunk, micro educational, micro motivational content, mindfulness, holistic looks at health. Like you said, I mean, if you're not getting any sleep, you're not going to get any activity and you're not going to eat right. well, period. So if sleep is the foundational issue, focus on fixing that first. And people, well, I can't do anything about sleep. Well, actually you can, there's a ton of stuff, ton of research on sleep hygiene, um, sleep environments and you know, all those kinds of things. Let's talk about that. Let's deliver that data and that, that information through the platform in a way that is, is meaningful and understandable and actionable, but actionable and not in, hey, we're going to run a marathon, but actionable in, hey, let's go to bed every, you know, at least during the week, let's go to bed every night at the same time. That's a starting point. Okay, great. That's a step, one step in the right direction. Let's get up at the same time. That's the next step. Those types of things. That's how behavior change is going to happen. And that's actually how it does happen.
0: So, yeah. You know, and this is what is so fascinating of all of this to me is like, this is playing the long game right like i mean no matter what we've got a long road ahead of us but this this is like making small incremental steps of progress towards ultimately solving this massive problem we have which is not even the healthcare problem it's like people are dying at a rate far greater and far faster than they have ever been and we're more unhealthy than we've ever been like that's the problem we're trying to solve and and so when i see uh, and i'm just like one peon in the midst of this but like i have a business in the healthcare space. I a lot. I spend a lot of time in conversation with direct primary care physicians. Working with one right now. I um, I consult in the healthcare space. So like I'm having all these conversations, and and most of these people are not doing this. But like the crazy thing out there is like we're trying to solve these big macro like or these problems by taking these massive haircuts or by just doing these like crazy things. Like one, I mean obviously we talk about online offline, and we may not get all the way there, but you know it's like it's not working so let the government take over healthcare, and, and that's going to fix the problem and I'm like yes we have, an, a, pro, we have a problem with administration and we have a, a problem with misalignment of everybody's incentives across the board but right. even if we fix the alignment issue even if we reduce administration even if costs come down we still have a problem And that's people are still more sick and they're dying at a faster rate than they ever have been. So we're not solving the ultimate problem that healthcare was instituted in the, you know, was created for in the first place. And I just don't know why, like this is a general statement, but why we are so interested in trying to take these big swipes when really things as simple as a $24 a year, you said a year? 24 bucks is what your platform is $24 a year application can begin to drive outcomes that are going to one by one create health for the population of the country that we live in. Like, I just, I did, I don't understand why we're, we're, we're we're totally missing all the trees for the forest.
1: Yeah. And you know, we're, we're a culture of magic bullets. So that's Mm. why the diet industry, I can get, an individual who is sixty pounds overweight to engage with a hundred and fifty dollar a month application, but I can't get them to engage with a primary care physician in changing their long term behavior I mean and that's that's the nature, so go you know, you know what this person lost you see the testimonials they lost sixty pounds in four months. I can do that. That's worth it to me, but this idea of I'm going to lose two pounds a week, and I'm gonna have to make some changes in my behavior. But that's where you're absolutely right. And that's where we've been, it's easier to do gastric bypass than it is to go through the process of changing the behavior, when that person is increasing their weight by 30 pounds a year, at really critical or pivotal times in their life. And I think, that is, you're, you're absolutely right. And then, so then our culture, our, our company, what we're trying to do and what our culture says is right is misaligned. And then you take that to the government and the government says, well, it's an access issue. So we just need to have coverage for everybody. Well, it's not an access issue. So that's where the solutions, so we don't understand the problem. So then we come up with these solutions that don't solve it, whether it's, you know, nationalized healthcare, socialist medicine, whatever we call it today. Um, or it's a big you know swipe we're gonna we're gonna reduce the payments by 50 percent or whatever we're looking to do we do create these big solutions that aren't aligned to the actual problem and when you start to come back and tell people what the actual problem is you're a pariah they don't want to hear it people Mm -hmm. don't want to engage in it they don't want to say that's a solution you can get there so it is definitely a challenge and healthcare is you know, it's a slow industry. I think still it is the slowest industry to make changes. So um, it's going to take some time. But you have to do the other things as well. I mean, you, you've got to align incentives first of all. You've got to align payment models. You've got to change the nature of how we're paying providers. Mm-hmm. You've got all those things. There's so many things we can do with bundled payments and capitated payments and all of that. That's that's a starting point. But then you've got to have solutions that drive efficient means of of achieving those. Yeah. And that's where we're not we're not effectively moving fast enough in that
0: arena. Yeah, well and, and, and this is this is why like you know I love you know the people that are advocating for change at the infrastructure level um, you know, whether that's getting out of the ecosystem and creating a new one, like there's, there are, there are a lot of great things. That's why direct primary care yep. and the rise of it is going to solve so many problems, but what's, what's still been missing. And like, kind of as we land this plane and I even think about like, this goes all the way to the beginning of like understanding who we are as individuals, like with strengths, like, like we need to take personal responsibility. And that is what we, we have, started to not do anymore. Like healthcare, again, is a great example. It's like, the government will fix my problem. Like, let's just have them do it. Or, um, you know, somebody else is is going to do something. The healthcare companies are gonna change. Like, everyone's gonna publish pricing and then like, at least I can see what I'm paying. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, you as an individual human being have control over your own behavior. And so if you wanna spend less money, take more responsibility. If you wanna get healthy, take more responsibility. And that's the thing I think that as an individual uh, uh, community across the nation, we just don't wanna hear that. Like Again, in general, it's like somebody else will fix my problem and eventually just gastric bypass me right back into health, right?
1: And when you get hurt, yeah, let's have some, let's have transparent pricing. Let's be able mm-hmm. to make good consumer-based decisions let me know which of these surgeons has better outcomes and does it at lower costs and, and you know, which one fits more effectively into, into the, my health insurance plan. And we need all of those parts to come together, but yeah, fundamentally you got to go back people have to take responsibility, but people need to be uh, that responsibility and that change needs to be facilitated, enabled, supported and held accountable. And that's, again, we can't just say, you know, the doctor example is you can't say you need to lose 10 pounds, come back next year. When right. you say you need to lose 10 pounds, hey, here's how I'm going to help you do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do this together. And then you give them all that knowledge, skill, ability, accountability, and the tool set to do it, and they can go do it. And then once they have started to engage effectively in health and build new behaviors, it's easier to keep them on track. But until then, we've got a we've got a culture that we either tell them to do it or we we give them a magic bullet at the end, but we don't provide the mechanisms to, to provide the support to change. So there's a lot, yep. there's a lot of, again, back to my, your question when I got into healthcare, there's a lot of opportunity. <laughs>
0: so. There is. Yeah. And, and, and as long as people are entering in for the right reasons and the right opportunity, you know, I see big, I, I see big opportunity for change, positive change. My fear yep. is, is that like, even in the direct primary care space, I've heard a few people say, well, gosh, what a a great, like I can sign up, you know, my max patient load is six, 700 patients a month. And because most of them aren't going to come in on a regular basis. And so, you know, I can generate, I'm like, wait a minute, you just went past the the real reason why this works. This works because of regular engagement. Like if you're banking on like 24 hour fitness does, if you're banking on a bunch of people signing up and only 10% of them showing up, we're right back in the same boat. (laughs) You know, you're just, you're doing it on your own versus in a system. Um, Okay. So practically um so can just any uh any doctor approach you and say hey i want to get signed up to start providing your platform to my patients
1: yeah they sure can so we've got a tier three product that's uh, basically a generic product it's our brand um okay. that not branded to c3lx but it's a brand of zia health um the larger the the system is or the group is we can do complete uh, white labeling of that of our platform for for those groups. So it is supportive of their brand. And then on the very large groups, we do full integrations of our platform into pre-existing applications or into EMRs or whatever they're doing for a care management platform. So yeah, we've got a lot of different ways, but if people want to in- engage and and get up and running on even the Zia Health platform, um, download it out of the, out of the Google Play or, or uh iOS store. You can uh, do either one. So there's a lot of ways we can do that. Yep. Very
0: easy. Wait, so, so an individual can just download your app and start using it. Well, they could download it. They couldn't do anything with it. So that
1: the physician has to turn it on for them. The admin structure has to turn them on. Um, But the applications are are available that way for patients, so it makes it easy if you're going that route. If you're trying to support your brand more effectively with your patients, then obviously white labeling is the best option. And if you're really looking for a way to make sure it's seamless to what you're doing elsewhere, we can do that full integration. So uh, multiple ways you can do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that this is just a wonderful solution. So I I am most highly invested into the medical cost sharing community, partnered with Sedera Health uh, and doing a lot with them. And, uh, you know, their integration already with the direct primary care world, then coupling with something like this. So it's not only are we going to support our members when needs arise, but we're also going to proactively help them engage with their health care and their health to ensure that they stay healthy. Right. We don't want to see you when you're almost going to die. Like we want to help you all along the way. So you never get to that point right. until naturally your body shuts down um so okay so that's fantastic and so you know for anybody listening out there what are some of the best ways to get engaged with you guys i mean i don't know that you want to be taking everybody's phone calls and emails but hey maybe you do
1: <laughs> yeah our our website so uh, www.c3lx.com and it's got um ability to request a demo or get in contact with us um you can sign up to be a part of our uh, distribution list on on our email follow our content do The same thing you can follow us on LinkedIn and see some of our professional content there. Um, but yeah, through our, if you want to get directly connected with us, our phone number is on the website. Um, so if that's a if that's more your, your style, feel free to give us a ring. We'd love to have our phones ring too.
0: I'll put Adam's personal cell phone in the show notes.
1: I would absolutely do that. Yes, (laughs) and his home address as well. So I'll send it just in case there
0: is a complaint. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I mean, you know, Andrew. Like I said from the beginning, I mean, you know, the intention and you know the way that we got connected was, you know, Adam specifically said, like, you know, you have to talk to my CEO. Awesome guy, great leader, Um, and I, I think that. I and we people listening heard so much of that through the way that you navigate strengths and leadership and stepping out of things that you 're not good at and um, so I think that's wonderful, uh, but even into the very practical and something like healthcare that is so messy, I think that you know you're demonstrating that um, that if you have a passion and a belief to make a change, like it doesn't matter how disastrous or broken it is that you can lead and you can lead well into these areas. And so I'm happy to be able to spend some time with you to share you with, you know, my audience of people, and to continue to find ways to get engaged, because I'm very passionate about seeing this fixed, uh, being healthcare as a whole. And I just love what you guys are doing. And super thankful for your time.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate having the opportunity to be on. It's always fun to talk about yourself and talk about your business. So I appreciate it. It was fun. It
0: was great. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the excellence mindset podcast. Uh, As always, I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode, specifically anything that you loved, something that you uh, would love to see done differently, suggestions, recommendations, please feel free to reach out. I'll make sure to put contact information for C3LX uh, in the show notes Uh, So feel free to reach out to them if you have any questions, concerns, or thoughts. Till next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit RyanJamesMiller.com. We'll catch you next time.